We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to BuzzBeat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. This is episode 76 of BuzzBeat Radio. Don't forget, we are a proud member of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network, uh, home at QueenCityHoops.com, and obviously our good friends over at Sports Channel 8. Dot com. Uh, BG, I guess I should really mention we're actually we're a part of the Sports Channel 8 podcast network. Uh, so you can go check out the other good stuff over there. Raleigh City Sports. And then I always and more than I get this wrong. The Canes podcast section, section 328. 328. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So go check those out, too. Uh, a lot of fun. Really good stuff. Um, Sports Channel 8 dot com. Our good friends over there. Richie, what's happening? Uh, busy time of school year, uh, conferences with parents, those aren't the most pleasant things, especially for kids that are not performing up to their standards and the kids think that, or the parents think that their kids are just the brightest students in the world. So sometimes that's kind of a tough conversation to have. And then 12 days until the due date. Um, so technically it could happen any minute now. And, um, if I have to leave for whatever reason, maybe that's Paige going into labor. So, uh, don't <laughs> mind me if that happens, uh, during this episode, but, Spencer, I could have sworn at the end of the last episode you guaranteed a three and zero start. So um, it's it's it's. Did I do that? Well, you're just like next time you'll see us three and zero Hornets. You didn't guarantee it, but you you just. I was also drinking that night. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I'm just I'm just kidding. (laughs) But Uh, yeah, but you know, two and one. That that's uh, it's a good start for the Hornets, and I'm glad basketball's back. And uh, I'm going to try to get to watch you know these beginning games before the baby comes because I won't be watching the games as intently as I would uh, without that newborn. So, But everything everything's good down here in Charlotte. Good, good to hear. BG, what's happening in the research triangle? Same here uh, for the most part. It's crazy with hoops starting. You know, AP top 25 preseason poll just dropped out today. Uh, Spencer, I'm sure you're hyped about the Braxton Key news, eligible for Virginia this season. So no, it's sort of it's crazy with um, I mean, this is this is really when things start to pick up for me with the NBA uh, starting now and with ACC hoops, you know, basically starting, but only two, two and a half weeks away. I mean, Duke, Kentucky on November 6th. You can go ahead and mark your calendar for that one. 
Um, so yeah, no, this is a busy time, but this is a fun time. Like two weeks ago, right before these, right before NBA was about to start, I started getting like a little bit of anxiety, just knowing like, all right, here we go. Less sleep on the horizon, less free time. I'll see my friends and family a little less frequently. But now that it's here, it's it's awesome to have hoops back, and I've been watching everything with the Hornets, and just the whole entire league's been fascinating too. This past weekend was awesome, so uh, happy to be on with you guys here. Awesome, it has been. I mean, the, it, the Hornets have obviously been very entertaining. Um, but you're right, BG. Like the whole league, there's there's early on some real surprising storylines, um, more so than than I expected for sure. Uh, and the Hornets are certainly would qualify as one of those, I think. But really, let's just say this first, and we'll obviously come back to this later and talk about it a lot more. But Kimba Walker is Chris Kroger was onto something. It's early, it's three games, but we've never seen Kimba play like this. We we just haven't. It's Not crazy. this efficiently. He's I mean, he's playing with so much confidence. Um mm-hmm. you just think to two and a half, three years ago watching his body language, watching him kind of just start to turn the corner to now. I mean, he's arrived. He's one of the best point guards in the NBA. Um, that's not really negotiable anymore. It's not It's not debatable. Um, and, you know, he's at, He's leading the league in scoring still, right? Am I right? Mm-hmm. I think so. Okay. Yeah. yeah, still through three games. I mean, so it's amazing. We'll touch on that more uh, later. Let's start with Milwaukee. We're going to go through the Milwaukee game, uh, the Orlando game, and then the Miami game. We're recording this on a Tuesday night, so, or excuse me, a Monday night. So um, the Hornets are in Toronto really right after we get off here. So we won't obviously have anything on that game. But let's start with Milwaukee. Well, probably a win. Eric, probably a win, right? <laughs> if, 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 look, if we win hey, in Toronto tonight, put the league on notice for real. That's right. I, I taped the Toronto-Boston game from last Friday and then watched that Saturday morning or whatever, and – Man, Toronto looks awesome. They're like they're just scratching the surface on like what they can do too. I mean, they're not even going to some of these, um, some of these lineups that you know are just going to be killer for them this year. I mean, Toronto. I just I'm all in on Toronto already. Quick they, question. They Quick question before we go to the Bucks game. Do you guys think Toronto or Boston finishes first in the East, Brian? Ooh, I still like Boston, yeah. but. But not by a ton. I mean, Toronto is right there. Basically, we're talking about which of these teams is going to sweep Charlotte in the first round of the playoffs. That's sort of like what we're uh, yeah. <laughs> what we're hitting on right here. But um, now I'll take I'll take Boston. But man, Toronto is they're freaking great too. Yeah I, yeah, I still lean Boston as well. And I think that even though that Gordon Hayward's working his way way back and he's not where he needs to be, um, clearly they played the whole season without him last year. So um, I, yeah. I say Boston. Yeah, I, I also agree. Boston, their depth is, especially at wing, is just ridiculous. Um, so yeah, I would still lean them, but I, I would say that the like, the lock of the year is that one of these teams. It, I bet you the odds would be like minus three hundred that one of these teams is going to make a trade before the deadline, a big one. Totally. Like one of these squads is gonna is gonna set themselves up because they both have pieces to trade, young assets. Um, obviously, Boston's got just a boatload of draft picks. Somebody's going to make a big splash. I don't know. It doesn't look like it's going to be Anthony Davis, at least right now, because they're humming. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of these squads is going to add what I would say is another star. So we'll have to wait and see what, what that looks like. But I agree. I would go with Boston. All right. Um, let's jump in. Opening night in Charlotte against Giannis and the Bucks. Uh Boy, oh, boy, it didn't look good early. <laughs> no. Uh, it, it looked like. 
okay, this is going to take a long time to gel. This new system mm-hmm. with Brego and Milwaukee came out just firing. Uh, their offense looks so much different, especially with Brooke Lopez playing mm-hmm. that quasi center role. He, he's just he shoots from like thirty five feet. I mean, he shoots from like three or four steps behind the three point arc. Um, he was making them. I think Milwaukee started nine of thirteen from behind the arc, uh, and, and Charlotte just really couldn't get it going early. Uh, fell behind quite a bit. But the massive comeback, and we've got to mention, it's the first time we saw it. We re- we saw it a little bit in preseason, but the ultra-small ball lineup uh, with MKG at five, uh, Batum in there, Walker playing with Tony Parker, and Monk was just, it, it was killer. Uh, we still need to come mm-hmm. up with a nickname for this lineup, but um, and I don't know how much we'll see it, but that's really right. what brought the Hornets back in this game. If I if I close my eyes and think about really one specific thing, you know, outside of Kimball Walker's forty one points in this Ooh. game, I really think of that that small ball five unit that Milwaukee didn't adjust to that much, mm-hmm. um, and it hurt them. Yeah, and and I will say that they tried at the end of the first quarter, not that exact lineup, but they played Monk. Parker and Walker together at the end of the first quarter um you know it's kind of a preemptive strike that Borrego was doing and it and it you know it wasn't reactive it, they just he just tried it and then at the end of the third quarter maybe it was just the beginning of the fourth probably I think it was just the beginning of the fourth where they pulled out that lineup Spencer of uh Kemba TP Monk Batum and MKG uh where they played like the first eight minutes of that quarter and they they played very well but the three guards Parker Walker and Monk played 10 minutes together that game um, had an offensive rating of 120.8 and surprisingly a defensive rating of 100. So, you know, you'd think you'd be giving up some on the defensive end, but clearly they did not. And that's what got them back in the game. And just one player specifically, too, of those three, Tony Parker. Um, I mentioned this on the Buzzcast, and we probably won't go too in depth on this game because there is a Buzzcast out there if you guys want to listen to that on Periscope. He kept the second unit afloat. At the end of the first quarter, the beginning of the second, uh, he did hit him, you know, several mid-range shots. Um, he didn't do as well in Miami or Orlando, but uh, his presence out there, his veteran presence, definitely kept uh, the Hornets in this game. Yeah, that the 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 baby buzz lineup, however however you want to call it, the with the three point guards or the three to the two point guards plus Monk and with Nick Batum and, and MKG, whatever that Hornets death lineup, whatever you want to call that, seven minutes with that group. Uh, over 131 points for 100 possessions, a defensive rating of 81.3 wow. points for 100, so a net rating of 50. Yeah, I mean they went they went bonkers, and you know Giannis got flustered. The Bucks didn't do super well adjusting. I mean Nick Batum dug in and made some plays defensively, including a couple blocks, uh, I believe on one on Giannis that started a break too. Michael K. Gilchrist flying around, some big shot-making from Malik Monk, which we've seen across the first three games, too, outside of Milwaukee. And obviously Kemba just went nuts. But I thought that game, you know, obviously the Hornets had a great chance. Kemba had a shot at the end to, to win it. It just fell a little short. It was tough to obviously to lose the home game after racing back like that and really having just sort of one bad first quarter defensively that and they weren't they gave up 31 in the second. So it wasn't like they were much better then as well. But um, to have Cody Zeller not play that well and to have an off game from Nick Batum Mm -hmm. and to have Giannis and this new look offense come in and you still almost get the win like you have a you have a shot to hit a walk off. And I thought that was I thought that was at least encouraging. And once again, you saw the rotations that Brego was throwing out in the in the preseason with 
Um, Michael Kilgore's playing the four and the five. No Frank Kaminsky. Uh, Malik Monk and Kemba Walker seeing extended minutes. I mean, those guys have almost played more in the first three games of the season than they did all of last season together. And I believe they played 20-plus minutes in that first game together. Or maybe that was the first two games combined together. I'll need to double-check that. But just all the stuff that you kind of wanted to – you were sort of hopeful of seeing uh, if you were paying attention to this team last season or or at least hoping to see more of uh, in the preseason this year. And they've they've thrown it out, and it was it was encouraging to see. I it's tough to think of maybe getting a better performance than Tony Parker out of that one, but uh, we'll see. Maybe if he's got another trick up his sleeve later in the season. But no, I thought that was a even though they lost, I thought it was pretty encouraging nonetheless, and cool to see the team really getting funky with some of these small ball lineups, including MKG at the five. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> I think we talked about this on our buzzcast, but. The small ball lineup, but not only that, having Parker in there and Borrego's willingness to just play the hot hand, right? He's going to do that on a nightly basis. And one of the, I think, one of the strengths of this team over a larger sample and over the course of the season will become their depth and how many guys, how many different guys can finish a game. Willie Hernan Gomez finished this game. You know, he's mm-hmm. in there yeah. late at center yep. instead of Zeller. Um, so. You know, you can talk about seven, eight, maybe nine, you know, if you want to get frisky and throw bridges in there of guys that you can close a game with or you can really um, mix and match with in important situations. And that's it's just not been something that Charlotte has had in past years. And they had they didn't have a coach that was willing to try stuff like that. Now they do. Uh, it's just also different. I feel like we're in like an education phase right now and like yeah. how to watch the Hornets. You know, I mm-hmm. it makes sense to me. Uh, I, I see where a lot of it's coming from. But, you know, Borrego will do something sometimes. And I'm almost like I'm, I'm almost fooling myself, like thinking too hard because I'm trying because <laughs> this is just also different. <laughs> you know, it's just like rinse, repeat every night with Clifford. And we knew the lineups we were going to see. Not so much anymore. Um, all right, well, let's move on to the Orlando game. Like Richie said, you can go check out our buzzcast um, on that Milwaukee game if you want to uh, get a little bit more detail on it. Um, Orlando, whoa. I mean, that was an incredible deep defensive performance uh, from the Hornets. Really, they were, they were fine offensively uh, in this one, but defense, it's really where it started. Um, cleaned up everything at the rim, controlled dribble penetration, um, chased Orlando off the line, uh, but then when Orlando started missing almost everything, he didn't have to chase him off the line. So this was just a really, really impressing, impressive outing. I was not able to watch it live. Got through most of it on the replay, but BG, what do you take from this Orlando game, maybe above anything else, and outside of Kim Walker's continued a phenomenal play? Uh, the, the defensive effort was just incredible. I mean, or, look, Orlando's a bad team, no doubt, but – for Charlotte to allow only 10 points in the first quarter, uh, 21 points in the third, or pardon me, 21 in the second, 23 in uh, Q3. They just, they went out there and played one of the best games. That's one of the best defensive games that they've had in a, in a while um, in terms of defensive rating. But I was even impressed too, um, offensively, was the was how they, how, how they passed the ball in this game. Uh, the Hornets with 43 field goals, 32 assists. And it was one of, the, in terms of assist rate, you got to go back to the 2016, 2017 season to find a game where they had an assist rate that high. Um, impressive ball sharing, in, in my opinion. And again, you saw this was another game with uh, Nick Vucevic in at center for the Magic, another center that's 
Kemba has just torched over the years. And you see with these centers that drop and play the five at the five spot. And they allow Kemba to either step into walk up threes or they let Kemba, you know, Kemba can ramp up and just go downhill and get all the way to the rim, which he's been doing with some efficiency this year. And, and look, I just Kemba's efficiency in the pick and roll is incredible again this year. So not only is he leading the league in scoring, this guy's second in the league in usage rate right now, almost 37 percent behind only Giannis. He's second in the NBA in time of possession with the basketball, 8.2 minutes per game behind only James Harden. Um, with Kemba, 57% of this guy's possessions so far this season have been as a pick and have been used via the pick and roll. That's 17 per game, which is the most in the NBA by a lot. 1.16 points per possession, 62.2% effective shooting. These are monster numbers, just absolutely monster numbers. And you can see he's been doing it with a variety of other guys. Cody Zeller, 12 screen assists. Michael K. Gilchrist, 12 screen assists. Willie Aaron and Gomez, 12 screen assists. And it was just a dominant performance from, uh, from the Hornets. And I was impressed with guys like Cody and, and Billy slip into the hoop. And you can just see how the Hornets – plus Cody Zeller, plus more shooting on the court, it's having a profound impact. Kemba was already a great pick-and-roll scorer, and it's made right so far it's early, but it's made him just a little bit better, you know, and a little bit, a little more efficiency with increased usage. It, it's just, you're, that's why he's been out of, his, out of control yeah. this first week. It's been really cool to see. Yeah, I would agree. I think that, you know, this is the Orlando Magic and uh, their offense isn't the greatest, but our, our defensive intensity, like <laughs> yeah. you said, Brian, was just amazing. And I tweeted this out and it probably was a little bit of exaggeration, but MKG's defensive performance was probably one of the best that I've seen in a while from him or if at all. I just maybe just because it's a recency bias. It was just fresh on my mind the way that he played. He played the five at times, the four at times, blocking shots. Um, I just feel like within this new system, he is doing a whole lot better. I, I don't know, for whatever reason, um, maybe it's his new role off the bench. He wants to make the most of it when he comes in. But in this game, he was like clapping on the perimeter as as def, you know as a defender. Just You can see the intensity with that guy. And he's definitely uh, kind of coming into his new role uh, perfectly. And uh, I'm just surprised it's taken this long for him to kind of uh, come into his own a little bit. But I guess Clifford versus Borrego, that probably has a little bit something to do with it. Uh, kind of maximizing his potential under JB. But yeah, I would agree with you. The uh, the two-man game that Kemba and Cody share, uh, definitely, definitely uh, very evident. And the Hornets' offense in the first half wasn't great either. I mean, I think that, especially in the first quarter, they struggled. They struggled in the first quarter. But towards the end of the second quarter and the beginning of the third quarter, uh, you could tell that, that Kemba and, and Cody were working that two-man game. And you can't you can't deny the... I guess the effectiveness that Kimba plays with when he is with Cody. And I thought, I think we both thought that may, or all three of us thought that the pick and roll game might go down a little bit under Borrego's system, but clearly it's still a staple. Um, and, and they kind of lean on that. Um, so it, in preseason, it didn't look as much as it does now in terms of the, you know, I shouldn't say over reliance on the pick and roll, but clearly Kimba's going to do his best when he's out there playing with a player. Uh, next to him, like a Cody Zeller, that's going to roll hard. So I hate to go on a rant here, but the but the Charlotte Hornets and especially Kimball Walker have missed Zeller's presence on the court. Uh, just the way that they work in tandem together on the offensive side of the court is just really something that's 
you just can't replicate with any center. Like last year we saw it. You can't put Dwight Howard out there and expect the same results out of the pick and roll. Kemba still did well, uh, but just the kind of the synergy that he has with Cody, the DHO game, uh, he works that to perfection. Uh, Cody maneuvers his body at the last second to get Kemba open for a, a pick and roll three. And you saw that a couple times, like you said, Brian, where they dropped off a little bit. So just all the little things add up over the course of an 82-game season. And I know that we harped on this a lot last year about Dwight's effect on Kemba uh, on both ends of the court. Um, I will say that there's another Hornets podcast out there that kind of threw some shade at us for kind of continuing to harp on this. But I just vividly remember this tweet kind of throwing the shade at us. And here's the thing. Like, numbers... Dwight put up numbers, but numbers are meaningless without context. I think they, I think they were empty numbers. Cody, I, I could care less what numbers Cody's puts up, but the way that he plays with with Zeller, Kemba and Zeller, that's something that you can't always measure with numbers. And I think that we're seeing the pick and roll game, like you said, Brian, still work at high effectiveness with not only the system, but just because Cody's back. And that's the, that's you know that's the last I'm going to say. Don't want to toot our own horn or anything like that. But we are usually pretty early on this and pick up on these things. And uh, wait, yeah, wait. So you're saying we wait? We weren't wrong on the Dwight thing. Uh, I, I don't think is we're that, wrong. Is that what you're? Is that what you're telling me right uh, now? That's what oh, I'm gosh. saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I just okay. don't think there's any discussion about this moving forward that's, in terms of like that's refreshing. Yeah. God, yeah, I just my face. Yeah, my eyes were. I, I couldn't even see anymore after all the all the all the shade. And, the shit people threw in our <laughs> face about about hating on Dwight or not hating on Dwight, just telling the truth, just like Richie told you. Anyways, okay, yeah, hey, good good rant, Richie. I need that. Will you cut that clip, please? I need to save that. One. <laughs> that doesn't happen. That's often. a good one. That's no, it does not. I like that one a lot. What's good, y'all? This is your boy Justin, aka Just Blaze, host of Above the Rim. And if you want a raw take on the NBA, Above the Rim is a show for you with dope beats and entertaining guests each week. We offer a great new insight on all things NBA. You don't want to miss it. Find it on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and the Almighty Baller Network. Um, well, hey, I, actually, I do want to go back because you started hitting on something, and I had some thoughts, and, and maybe we can kind of talk about this for a minute because there are some numbers um, that Brian actually tweeted out about Michael Kidd Gilchrist and his early season success on defensive end. Yep. He's leading the league in blocks right now. Here's here here's my thing. Well, that's crazy to think about, but I like know. here's my thing is that you know, under and I'm not hating on Clifford. I'm just like trying to point out the differences between mm-hmm. like what Borrego so far and what Clifford is and why some guys are experiencing some some real success here. Um, you know, MKG is an aggressive defender on the ball and he's also an aggressive help defender. You know, and we've always talked about that. He wants to it's part of that being your identity, I guess. You know, he wants to be mm-hmm. the quarterback of the D. But in Clifford's system, which was was very, are you in the right spot at all times? The ball's over here. Are you on the helpline? You know, are you on the ball line? You know, it's 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 very an old school style of, of defense, especially in the NBA. With Borrego's system, and especially with these small ball groups, it is more chaotic. It is more, and, and that doesn't mean it's unorganized. It just means... Hey, you're an athlete. Go be an athlete on defense. Mm-hmm. And I think we're MKG. I, I mean, I don't have the numbers right in front of me. I, Brian, maybe you could get these. Maybe these aren't public data, but I would be willing to guess seven or eight, man, six, seven or eight of those blocks came in the small ball lineup. When mm-hmm. MKG 
not only was able to switch across four or five positions, but he was, he also knew, hey, I am really the rim protector on the floor right now. And so instead of overhelping out on the wing mm-hmm. and giving up a three-point shot, he now knows really my job when it comes to help is beating the ball to the rim. Because if we're playing five small ball, the other team's probably matching in some sort of a five-out scheme. So I got to be at the rim. And, and it's it's just unlocked what – it's unlocked his athleticism and – just his defensive identity, I think, that he's always carried with him. And he's not having to think his way through the game so much. He's reacting more. And I think that's why MKG is making it a huge impact on the floor. Look, not only is Charlotte blocking shots, especially with these small ball lineups, they're third in the league in forcing turnovers, which is, mm-hmm. of anything I've seen that looks different with the Charlotte team, that's probably the most shocking thing because these guys have played in a system that was very keep the ball in front, defensive rebound, conservative, conservative, and and they're just experiencing so much success in, in more of a chaotic de- chaotic defensive system early on. And you know that, those are just kind of my thoughts on why I think MKG has experienced um, some success here early in the season and why I think there's a really, really damn good chance it continues. The, the, you, you, you've even seen that, that Spencer bring up a great point. Like you've even seen, and maybe it's a little risky with Malik Monk, but you've even seen him off the ball, right? Like he's been gambling, looking for steals and trying to dig down and, and reach in or poke a ball out. I mean, he, I think he got a block too in one of these games. Like, yeah. and so it's been cool to see, and I'm sure, look, I'm sure once Miles Bridges becomes a bigger part of the rotation, he's sort of on the fringe of it right now, the, of the sort of nine man rotation they're playing. He's the 10th guy, but I'm sure He'll feature prominently into that too, and yeah, you're probably going to give up some some good looks because of it. And uh, and right now, um, I mean, the Hornets are maybe getting a, a little bit lucky because I was looking through this um, this earlier. Yeah, I mean, the Hornets third in the NBA in defensive rating right now, but this is something to keep an eye on. Hornets are allowing uh, 18.3 wide open three point attempts per game. That's fifth most in the NBA. Uh, opponents are shooting just 31% on those, which is a bottom five number. So that's one of those things that, look, the whole, like the Hornets are giving up some some decent looks. These are three point attempts without a defender within six feet. Um, but no one's made no one's quite made them yet, in part because you got to play against a crappy Orlando team. But that's something to keep an eye on too. Regardless, I still like having Michael Kigokris turn loose. I mean, guys, we're seeing this is his future. This is the next 10 years of NBA basketball for this guy who, look, maybe, I don't know if it'll be in a, in a starting role or a reserve role. Honestly, it doesn't matter. Um, according to basketball reference, he spent 83% of his time at the, at the four this season, spent 17% of his time at the five. Uh, last season, 5% of his time at the four, 95% of his time at the three. Like, this is a chemical change, and I think there's a reason why he's flying around and making all kinds of crazy plays, 25 box outs. That's a top 15 number in the NBA. He's contested 32 shot attempts, according to NBA tracking data. 28 of those were two-point field goal attempts. Both of those are team highs. He didn't have a steal yet this season, but you know that's going to change. And Charlotte's allowing in 73 minutes with MKG on the court under 97 points per 100 possessions. I mean, these are huge numbers, and, and it's turning into offense on the other end. It's picking possessions up, and it, it's huge. And this is it. Like, Spencer, we, we, we talked about this for a while. Like, man, you know, kind of kicking the can around. Like, hey, could you imagine getting to see MKG 
do what Sean Livingston does in Golden State or what Andre Iguodala does, where he doesn't, where he has the freedom to just like fly around and make plays and be the four, be the one in the four round one on offense. And, you know, it's very, it's been really cool to see it. And he's stepping into the, into the role. They're playing well offensively with him as a slip dive guy. And defensively, he's just been a madman everywhere. And it probably doesn't hurt that he knows, hey, I'm playing a few, few, fewer minutes per game. So why not go nuts while I'm out there? And, um, you know, I think it's going to be cool when Miles Bridges gets, becomes a bigger part of the rotation, too, just because having two of those guys, two of those kinds of athletes off the bench um, could make a big difference for Charlotte. You mentioned a point about this as MKG with the pick and roll game. Like you never saw that under Clifford. You never saw MKG really set a ball screen. Question for you guys in terms of, I mean, it might not be as simple as this. Do you think him playing the four and the five better suits him because he's not as good on the perimeter or is it just something different? I I mean, yeah. I I mean, mean, a lot of defensively, defensively. Sorry. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Defensively. Well, like again, a lot of the defensive breakdowns with MKG, I thought in years past, have come with him overhelping in situations that just made little sense within the scheme because it was so dependent on guys being in the exact right spot. And, you know, every defensive scheme is dependent on players being in the right position. But we just see so much more small ball now. And I think when the, when the floor is spaced, MKG knows that. He he's looks like, to me, he's doing a better job of containing the ball, you know, because he's not focusing on one guy. He can switch across positions. They're all doing a better job. But just the the rim protection thing is not something we've seen a lot from MKG in the past, unless it was like a transition block or he was just mm-hmm. guarding the ball one-on-one and stopped. He's coming over from crazy angles, um, helping from all over the floor, you know, to – to meet guys at the rim and, you know, and, and make these blocks. I mean, again, I, I'm probably not describing it very well, but all the open threes he's given up in the past, I think just come from get, helping, you know, hedging uh-huh. down in the wrong lane. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But this is more like, this is, this is a help. That's like the ball is almost at the rim. I'm using my speed, agility, uh, wingspan, and just like want to factor to get there and contain it. And these guys are flying around anyways. They understand the five out scheme you, you got to go sideline to sideline, you know, baseline to half court. So the help behind him has been better. I mean, against Milwaukee early in that game, I think we saw a lot of defensive breakdowns just in terms of like ball getting to the rim, ball being swung to the opposite corner, mm-hmm. to the yes. top, to the opposite. And these guys, their, their heads were kind of spinning. And then, Brian, you made the point earlier, like quickly, Nick Batum on the backside on the weak side was getting in those passing lanes. And it's really not a hard rotation. Mm-hmm. But it's just like after the first half against Milwaukee, everyone has been on the string with their rotations, and MKG has been getting to the rim and affecting stuff consistently. And I just think that he's able, he's freed up to say, I can pretty much switch anything when I'm out here, almost. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my job is to, is to keep the ball out of the basket. And I, I can help as much as I need to help without thinking that I'm going to make a mistake. And that's mm-hmm. the MKG I think we've been watching defensively off the ball in the past is the guy's just thinking his way through the game. And that's, you know, with a guy that talented, it's just the wrong way to go about it. So I think Brego's just loosening him up. He's freed him to just be an athlete. And I the, think that's um, really made the difference. The, uh, he also, I, I'm not going to backtrack here, but he did a very good job against Giannis 
down the stretch of the Milwaukee game, too. Everyone else is sort of having issues with Giannis, and MKG did a really good job. I think according to matchup data, which is a little wonky, I believe Giannis was 2 of 7 uh, against MKG in that game. And MKG also first a couple, forced a couple turnovers, too. But the question I was going to pose to you guys is, how do you think Steve Clifford was taking in the Orlando-Charlotte game last <laughs> Friday? Or is he is he so like he might look? I I love Clifford, which I say every time we bring him yeah. up. I have to preface that like I love this guy. I think he's a basketball genius. I think he's a whiz. I think he's one of the greatest coaches in the world. Um, and I'm not I'm not that's not, I don't think that's hyperbole. I think he's he's damn good. I was sort of like and he might be so focused on his own team, like mm-hmm. the the 13 guys he's got suiting up for him and the five on the court. But I was sort of wondering. How, what he, how he was taking that in with MKG playing that way at the four, with Marvin playing that way at the five, with Kemba getting to run pick and roll with, you know, three shooters on the court as opposed to two and just saying, like, holy crap, like, look how good this looks, you know. Yeah. And maybe part of it was he was handed rosters that weren't really suited to play. The roster is a little different now, obviously, in terms of personnel. But I do wonder if he can look out and just see, man, hey, wow, I never, you know, I maybe I thought of playing MKG that way, but I just never got around to it, or I, I felt like I couldn't do it because it was going to cause, if I, if I move that piece there, it was going to cause something to slip out over here. But I don't know. How do you guys think Steve Clifford was taking in that game last Friday? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, I think that he was watching that game and realizing probably some of the things, like you said, that, he could have tried and didn't and were absolutely lethal. It's just small ball. I mean, you're just mm-hmm. when Kemba Walker has that much more space, forget it, man. Like we're <laughs> we've we've learned that quick this season. I you know, like I don't hold the Dwight thing against him. He kinda right. had to play Dwight, you know, right. and, and you can't you can't unlock this kind of stuff when that guy's on your roster and he plays eighty two games, which is the most random thing ever. Uh <laughs> that he stayed healthy the whole year. Um it's true. You know, so and, and then he you know, but it's you know to play devil's advocate you know he cody zeller had injuries in the past right and he had opportunities and chances and i'm i'm sure i'm certain it was discussed you know hey let's try mkg at five or let's just try this small ball on him and see what happens you know i i don't know but i'm really interested to see steve clifford grow as a coach in orlando you know they have some pieces there they have the ability to play some small ball Mm-hmm. Um, not the ability that Charlotte has, but, but but they could try it. I I am interested to see if he ever really turns that corner as a coach. You know, I, I think what we maybe are going to learn with Steve Clifford is that he's a he's the players love playing for him. He is X's and O's. You know, black and white, no gray area. He's going to get your young roster from a culture standpoint where it needs to be. He's going to get the most out of guys in terms of putting in the work, right? From mm-hmm. like when yeah. you wake up in the morning to you go to sleep tonight, and that's going to lead to like getting four or five more wins in a season than that team probably should. That's why he was so good for Charlotte. And then they added Je- Al Jefferson. You know, Kimball Walker came around. You know, Nick Batum was good when he first came over, blah, blah, blah. You can connect all the dots then. So he got some good breaks with Charlotte. But it was very obvious when that team plateaued, and he really wasn't willing to – Change. change the way he, he thought yeah. about the game. So that's really that's the inter- interesting thing to me. But Brian, but to answer your question, there's no way Steve Clifford could watch that game and say, damn, man, this is crazy. Yeah. Like, and, and I pretty much had this roster. He looks yeah. a little different now, but a lot of the guys that were doing damage in that game, yep. he coached them. Same dudes. I know. I know. It's crazy. 
And I, yeah. I think there's probably a part of him that thinks, okay, Borrego's winning this way. I, you know, I brought this team to the playoffs. I won my way. It just happens mm-hmm. to be a different error. So, like, I feel like he is a little bit stuck in his ways. Uh, it does probably hurt him a little bit that he lost by 30 uh, to his opposing team or, you know, his, his yeah. ex-team or whatever. But uh, there probably is a little bit of him kind of regretting some of that stuff, like you said, Spencer, maybe trying Marvin or MKG at the five. But I also think deep down he knows he's a good basketball coach and the way that he coaches is just the way that he's going to coach. And it just might be the error that it just doesn't necessarily work as well in, in this error. So I, I, I hope he adjusts. I hope he kind of um, – Tinkers a little bit more uh, down in Orlando, but uh, I don't really have hopes for that in terms of just 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 from what I've seen, you know, in his years in Charlotte. Yeah, I, I agree. But look, man, like Steve Clifford, you know, we've kind of gone in the weeds here on Cliff. But I mean, I will always be a fan of that guy, yep, regardless same. of totally. regardless of how much of like a dinosaur he becomes in turn. Yeah. You know, with the coaches in five years from now for like, I can't believe that guy was a head coach in this league because it looks so much different or whatever. Like that guy did so much for Charlotte basketball mm-hmm. and, uh, and they'll be, they'll be okay. He'll get a lot out of those young guys in Orlando. Yeah. I, I, I really do believe that. Um, I just don't want him drawing up a late, late, uh, a late second <laughs> yeah. play. That's the only thing I, I just kind of yeah. had, not the only thing, but that was one of the biggest things I had qualms with him. Just, he couldn't drop a play at the, the last second. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're right. After timeouts, we're not his specialty. Um, the, um, and I'll say too, like, you know, I think he's stubborn, but I don't, he's not one of those old school guys. Like he was on Woj's pod back over the summer or maybe even in the spring, right. You know, right after he got let go and he, you know, he's like, yeah, the guys are better now than they used to be. <laughs> you know, like he, he, he's not one of those guys that thinks like, which is, it was 1988, you know, like Tom Thibodeau would love to go back to, you know, the, the, the Jordan rules type of defense that you could play in the NBA, like. Clifford is a, a smart, flexible guy, and we saw it in 15 and 16. Like, they came out and started shooting a lot more threes, and they started getting side-to-side more. Um, I think some of it really is just, like, they the personnel wasn't great, and injuries did him no favor, too. But, yeah, I mean, there was some obvious stuff, like both you guys were saying, that he could have tried um, with MKG and with Marvin Moore, and he just never, never got to it, even though he had plenty of opportunities. Anything else on this Orlando game? I'm just kind of making sure we're not missing anything. Uh, well, I thought Zeller had some great moments. Maybe we can yeah. just spend here a few quick minutes on him and the monster dunk. Uh, after Ooh. he got dunked on by Aaron Gordon earlier in the game, Zeller, oh, my God. I mean, that that's just the greatest dunk of his career, I'm pretty sure. Uh, on a little roll to the basket. Was it Kimba that hit him? Yeah. Yeah, it was Kimba. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so that was really the highlight. I, like I said, I didn't get to watch that one live, but <laughs> my phone driving down the road is just blowing up with all kinds of Zeller tweets and, and whatnot. So I actually had to pull over and watch that highlight because I could tell it was something that was really special. Uh, and I just thought, look, he looked a lot better in that game. I was worried about Cody Zeller after Milwaukee. I just It made me nervous that Borrego went away from him at the end of the game as quick. Like in game one, you're going to Willie Hernan Gomez late in the game. Um, that made me a little bit nervous. So to see him come out against Orlando and, you know, play that pick and roll game with, with Kimba, mm-hmm. you know, look, look very, very in tune with as mm-hmm. a short roll guy, getting it to the opposite corner. I know he's, you know, he flipped the ball over to Marvin in the opposite corner for a three, you know, at one point, I, I just thought it was a really good rebound game for Zeller. And I'm sure it went a long way for his confidence. Yeah. A couple other things I'll throw out there. Hornets over 114 points for 100 possessions. 
Uh, and I was talking about the assist rate in this game earlier. They assisted on 74.4% of their field goals. That was the highest rate since February 2017 in the game uh, for Charlotte. 11 of 20 on wide open threes and 12 of 25 on catch and shoot threes, 48%. So, yeah, I mean, they had it. They had it humming. And the starters were great that night. 19 minutes for Zeller, Marvin, Batum, Kemba, and Jay Lamb. Over 112 points per 100 possessions and allowed under 83 points per 100, a net of 30 points per 100. It was a big game for the starters, too, who were not great against Milwaukee. <laughs> they were so good that uh, Bacon and Frank Kaminsky got some run in the fourth quarter, so that was that was <laughs> nice to see those two play uh, because they're not going to have that opportunity a lot coming up this season. Hornets are sharing the ball, man. It's flying around. Assist to turnover ratio, they're seventh in the league. Um, assist rate, they're 12th in the league. I mean, you got to remember, right now these are little; uh, these numbers aren't super dependent, just because some teams have played two games versus you know Charlotte's played three. Um, but the ball is flying around, and, and they're using the corners, which takes us to our next game. Yeah. Uh, this is the stat that I circled as I looked at this game um, after watching it, which was just an excruciating game. I had to take heart pills <laughs> after that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The Hornets, 13% of their field goal attempts in this game were from the corner three area. And that, look, we, we heard about it all offseason. We're going to use the whole floor. We're going to space, 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 use both corners. We didn't really see it through those first two games. No. But, man, did we see it in Miami. Uh, it, was, it was just a, it was a clinic. It was an offensive clinic, especially in the first half. Hornets scored 72 points in the first half. Um, God, the floor was spread. Kimba just <laughs> – the floor was his buffet, man. That guy was making every single decision, and he was making the right one every time. So, again, I circled the corner three. 13% of the team's field goal attempts come from there, and they knocked down 46.2 uh, of those shots, which is just really – that was that was kind of like the last thing I needed to see from the offense to know, okay, good, this is this is officially something really, really different, is to use all the space on the floor, because the best offenses in the NBA all use the corner three uh, it, it, with extreme efficiency, and, and mm-hmm. this was the first you know game you saw that from the Hornets. Yeah, that first half was crazy, right? 72 points, the Hornets hit five corner threes in the first half alone. In the first half, also, the Hornets make, they attempt... Only three two-pointers outside of the paint. Uh, they made their one of three on those. Everything was basically in the paint, predominantly at the rim, or was a was a three, including as Spencer. You were just saying a lot, um, you know, a lot from the corners. And I thought in the first half of the Miami game and all of the Orlando game too, just the middle of the court was wide open. Nick Batum threading passes. Kemba Walker getting into the teeth of the defense mm-hmm. um, and being able to hit pull-up twos on centers that were dropping or just the middle has been wide open. And I actually think one of the big things, we talked about this during preseason too, but I think one of the things that's really helped Charlotte out, and you've seen them run this action a ton to start the season, but what, like they, what we like to call Chicago action, yep. which they'll start Kemba in the corner, they'll set a down screen, he'll go into a DHO usually with Cody. Cody will roll, Marvin will pop. Or whomever else is on that weak side will pop, or that strong side will pop for a three. And Kemba can attack, or he can you can shoot off the bounce, or he can throw it back for a three, or hit Zeller on the, the roll. Pass, yeah. And I think that I think that's one of the things that, like, along with Zeller being back and there just being more shooting on the floor, is that the pick and roll while they're running it a ton this year, including and by the way, like, twenty four point five percent of Charlotte's possessions this season have been used by a pick and roll ball handler second most in the NBA to only Brooklyn. 
But I just think they're also changing like the access points of these plays too, which is it's not just Campbell coming down, dribbling down, and then we're running this from you know the middle of the court high, which you're still seeing plenty of that too, but we're changing it. We're getting Kemba a little momentum going into the DHO, then we're running it. Um, and I think that those looks from the Hornets, like, again, these are just small tweaks on the margins, but all of them happening at the same time, I think is making a, 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 a big difference. And I mean, so far for, uh, you know, for the Hornets, the pick and roll has been absolutely, um, has been humming, uh, 0.95 points per possession on the pick and roll top 10 number in the NBA. And, um, yeah, you saw, I mean, they were playing games with Whiteside. Uh, at times in the first half. And I was even surprised that Miami went back with Whiteside to close the game. I, I thought they would have had better luck on a bio. Yeah, because because Kemba was playing games with uh, Olenek, too. So, um, I feel like he didn't play a lot, Olenek. I just didn't feel like I saw him a lot on the court. But uh, but you're, you're exactly right, uh, Brian, in terms of just the profile of this team, the way that it looks, shooting more from the corner, shooting more from three. I think we're top five uh, in the NBA and in field goal um, attempts from three, and then we're also eliminating the uh, the mid range shot. I think we're like bottom bottom five, bottom ten when it comes to a field goal attempts from the mid range, and that yes. definitely is going to be a staple. That that dribble handoff, Chicago action, whatever you want to call it, where it gets Kimba downhill. That that double stagger screen, uh, you know, it just keeps the offense flowing. A lot of read and react. It's just a whole lot different than Clifford, who I feel like they he liked to work like the elbows more often, where Borrego's working the sides, the corners, the whole the whole court. The profile, it's exactly what you want out of a modern NBA team. You know, shoot threes, eliminate the mid-range, and try to get to the rim as much as you can. And and Kimball Walker was just outstanding in the pick-and-roll game in, the, in this game and the pull-up game, like you said. People dropping off, he pulled right up. And he was guarded by Magruder pretty much the whole game, who has like four yeah. or five inches on mm-hmm. him. So, again, yeah. they're going to throw everything at him the bigger guard you know Dragic he did guard him on several possessions but it was mostly Magruder they blitzed him a lot in the second half um and, that, and that's when things got a little hairy but uh <laughs> we, we we came up clutch you know Monk hit a couple clutch shots late too yeah. and that, that was good to see yeah Monk hit that uh mid-range that Whew. it was the biggest mid-range shot that I've seen in the NBA in a long time I mean the Hornets were it, it was a it was a desert offensively out there I mean it was bone dry nobody get anything going Miami had so much momentum and it really feels like when when momentum starts to slip in just about any arena that down there in Miami it feels like it it really gets mm-hmm. loud and tense yeah. it's hard to overcome and Monk stepped it you know he just gave who was guarding him uh, it's not I don't coming know. to me, Anyways, he just gave just a real simple little ball head fake towards the basket, stepped back, and hit a huge shot when the Hornets needed it. That I really think was really the start of sealing that game with that bucket. But yeah, Richie, you were making a good point a minute ago that the heat where the game turned is when they started trapping Kimba, and it's just that simple concept of like, okay, anybody but him. I mean, right. it's just you know, Spolster yeah. Spolster is a, is a great coach. But you know whether Whiteside was in there, it didn't matter. Did not matter if you were guarding a pick and roll involving Kimba Walker and you're the help defender. You're in his jockstrap. Period. Like it doesn't matter who you are. And Whiteside did a good job a few times. And, and guess what? Like Brian, you made this point on Twitter the other day. Hornets have played three teams now with drop centers, mm-hmm. um, and Kimba Walker has absolutely feasted on that. Whether it be in the mid range, but mostly from behind the arc uh, at the top. 
that's going to change really, really fast. Yeah. All right. Um, the teams are going to start trapping Kimba. And, you know, that's the big question mark with this team. Who, you know, is it? does it mean more Cody Zeller? Can you trust Willie Hernan Gomez to be that short roll guy? Does it mean more small ball or MKG or Marvin's kind of making mm-hmm. that decision? That is a that is a huge storyline for the Hornets and where their season goes offensively from here on because life is going to get harder for Kimball Walker as the days go on. Um, certainly not going to get easier, and it starts tonight with a guy like Kawhi Leonard, who I'm sure yeah. uh, Nick Nurse is going to use in very creative ways against Kimba mm-hmm. and guarding him. And they've got Pascal Siakam and Danny Green. I mean, all these guys, you can just th- – I mean, they've got an army of just long arm. And yeah. DeLon Wright, I mean, it's just – they're loaded. Um, and I think, Spencer, I think that's a great point you brought up about – you guys are – both you guys are bringing up about teams trapping Kemba. The Hornets, only two secondary assists per game so far this season. So, like, the hockey assist. Mm-hmm. I think that's a number to keep – you want – that that number's got to go up. Because teams yeah. are going to force the ball out of Kemba's hands. And you're going to be playing four on three on the backside and – you know, can that guy hit a shot or can that guy make a pass to a teammate that can get a layup or a three? I think that's a huge number to watch. And I've seen some good action in the first half. There was a pretty nice there were there were a couple of nice possessions where Kemba got got the got trapped, got the ball to an outlet. And then they drove and got a the Hornets got a got a, a finish at the rim. But it, the it felt the wagon fell off the rails in the second half, no doubt. And. Should be mentioned, too, so far this season, I mean, if you want to look at, you know, we're talking about all these numbers and how they look different through three games compared to last season and perhaps the year before, too. But, again, Charlotte scoring only one point per possession when Kemba hits the bench, which is that's consistent with each of the last two seasons, too. Like, they're not, the, and, and, again, that's being influenced by the the Miami second half some, too, especially in, the, in a, a very small sample. But that's just, it's just going to be an issue. Um, yeah. and, I, and I think you're seeing some more of you know Nick Batum playing with the second unit and perhaps when Malik Monk, if he can come on more as an offensive threat, that'll that'll be offset a little bit. But look, when, when Kemba's off the court, Charlotte's going to struggle. And when he's on the court and they're running a ton of pick and roll, when every four possessions, you know, he's using it out of the pick and roll. Um, yeah, they're, they're just going to have to get better with how they want to counter those traps because they're coming. And they're going to be with better rangier, more athletic defenders. It's one thing if, if you're going to put Kelly Olenek out there, right? Like, then, by the way, the 10 minutes during the game that Olenek was on the court and Kemba was on the court, too, the Hornets scored 1.5 points per possession. Like, they lit up Miami. Um, and that was also one of the possessions where Kemba had that one of the best passes I've ever seen him make, uh, where he threw the ball from the, the right side of the court to Lamb in the weak side corner. Yeah. That, that was just sensational. Yes. First half. Yeah. Just sensational. They dropped, and he had he had room to throw it, and I mean, just what an unbelievable pass to, to Lamb. But uh, those those angles aren't going to always be the, that that type of airspace isn't always going to be available uh, for Kemba, and and they're going to have to get better at countering it. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point, Brian. That you know the on off numbers are you would think watching this team play, you'd pull them up and they'd look a little bit better than they actually are when it comes to Kemba, but. Um, in two of the three games already, he's played 40 minutes, um, I think. I, I closed out the Milwaukee game, but I'm assuming he played. If he didn't get 40 minutes, he got damn close. But he did play 40 minutes in Miami. You know, obviously Orlando being a blowout, he got a little bit of a breather there. But, I mean, on most nights, the Hornets are going to be in a clutch situation uh, that's going to qualify for that if they have a chance to win. It's, it's not going to be a lot of blowout wins. So, you know, 
it's something to watch. Uh, you know, Borrego's obviously going to ride him as hard as humanly possible here early in the season, and he's also going to try to preserve Tony Parker. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't play – Kimba can't play 38 to 40 minutes a night. He just yeah. can't do it. It's got to yeah. be closer to 35. And, you know, if that means that Monk's going to have to play some spot point guard minutes, which, God, I hope that's not the case. That was a, a nightmare <laughs> last year. But you know, you got to get creative because Kim is, he's played already through three games. Yes, the stats are amazing, but the minutes, they can't keep up at this rate. They yeah. Just yeah. That's 40 minutes on the second night of a back-to-back. Like that on the right. road. Like that's – you're 48 hours later, you're playing again. And you're just asking too much out of a guy that's five foot ten and also is leading the league and charges taken right now. Like you just – so you've got to be careful about not putting too much on this guy's plate. Like his just – his usage on both ends of the court is sky high right now. And – yeah, just got to be a little more mindful of if you if you can play him as you guys are talking about you know four or five minutes fewer per game, um, and hey I mean hell that's what you brought Tony Parker in for right yeah so, yeah. yeah I mean either either that signing was a swing and a miss or which you know I think <laughs> I think a lot of people may may think it was but we'll find out very quickly. Yeah, it's you definitely have to monitor the minutes for Kimba, especially considering the fact that he is our best player. And it's interesting in this game where they uh, didn't suit up Bacon, but they did suit up Devontae Graham. So there were some kind of thoughts going on. Okay, maybe Devontae Graham might be able to spell some minutes for Kimba, or even you know Parker on a back to back not play as much. But Devontae Graham didn't play. I don't believe in the Miami game, so it was back to Parker again on that back to back. And you know, outside of the Milwaukee game, you know these these defenses are going every you know under, especially in Orlando game. I took a note of it under every screen for Parker. And, and if he's not hitting his mid-range shot, which he did in Milwaukee, it's, it's going to be more difficult for that second unit to kind of get things going. And I think do I think Batum does need to be kind of inserted into that second unit a whole lot more. And I think Borrego's doing a good job of kind of tinkering and maneuvering people up and down, up and down the lineup. So I think that that's how you're going to kind of counteract Kemba off the court. Even if Monk is the quote-unquote point guard in the second unit, maybe you got a distributor uh, in Batum there. But I was actually surprised. Devontae Graham, I thought he was going to get some run in Miami. United too. And uh, we can start the tally uh, weekly here, but Frank Kaminsky um, up to two DMP <laughs> CDs. So, um, so I, I, actually, let's play a little fun little game real quick. Oh, All gosh. right. Uh, hold on. Let, let, give me a second. Let me think. Brian. Well, this is for both of you. We'll start with you, Brian. Brian, over under 33 and a half. Oh, God. DMPs for Frank Kaminsky this season. What are you taking? I'll get, yeah, yeah, 33 and a half. I like that number. I'll take the, uh, boy, this just depends on what you think about Zeller's health too, right? Mm -hmm. As soon as that that happens. Hey, you got big. yeah, yeah, and I mean, maybe maybe Miles Bridges and MKG just play some five for you too. Marvin plays more of it. Um, so what, what was the you said thirty three and a half DNPs? Was that what it was? Yeah, thirty three and a half. Uh, I'll take the uh, well. I'll take I'll take the over. I'll take the over. I was okay. uh, yeah. I was gonna say over too. I, I think yeah. I think Borrego sees what he sees in Kaminsky. He sees what he sees in the other players. And we mentioned this on episode seventy five. Like, what is he offering on the offensive end that he can't get from some other players as well? Because on the defensive end, uh, he's a, he's a non factor, or he has been yeah. uh, up to this point in his career. Right. So um, I think he can get some things out of the other players and just kind of maneuver the lineups a little bit. So I'll say over. I do think that number is pretty high, but. 
I just think he sees what he sees with Kaminsky, and he, he's not too fond of him. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I would also take the over. I actually think that number's a little bit low now that I'm thinking of it. But that's just – I was just building in some injury. Um, yeah, risk. You know, some injury is going to creep up here. So I was kind of building that right. in. But I, I don't know. This is a – Frank stinks. This is a fun game for me to play. I, I like <laughs> imagining how, how little he's going to play this year. Um, any? Would you guys have any thoughts on uh, Jeremy Lamb? I was going to bring point? him up. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, glad you did. You know, with him being in the starting lineup, um, clearly a different role than he was in last year. I think he doesn't have the ball in his hands as much, and I think that's kind of where he excelled last year. Put the ball in his hands in the second unit, be a creator, uh, get mm-hmm. shots off at the rim. Um, clearly, he had a mid-range game last last year, so I think he's just adjusting to playing with the ball, you know, out of his hands more often. I don't think he's been like bad by any means, but it just feels like his impact hasn't been that great. What are your thoughts, Spencer, on on, on Lamb? Because I knew that you wanted to bring him up uh, during episode seventy six here. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm glad you did that, BG. I would have forgotten, but I, I just think this system is. I thought Lamb was going to really fit well in the system. The early returns look to be the opposite. He he is a little bit slower you know, more of a plotting player offensively. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Richie, to your point, I think that's why he was really effective off the bench for Charlotte uh, last year. Um, and you know what? Maybe, maybe it's time to start having the conversation about Malik Monk and Jeremy Lamb. You know, maybe, I mean, we've seen Monk fight defensively. He's knocking down shots. He's not hesitating. I mean, maybe him and Kimmel Walker are just too good to keep apart. But, you know, Lamb, I, I would be a little bit more patient with Lamb <clears throat> because he just yeah. showed us so much. He showed us so much last season um, that I think he, he has earned that patience. But I will say, I think this system, the ball's moving more often. Guys like Marvin and MKG and Nick Batum, to an extent, if they don't have a shot right away, the ball's out of their hands, right? Like the only guys that's really, really pounding it and searching for something is obviously Kimball Walker. The rest of these guys are really moving the ball. And Jeremy Lamb doesn't really fit that category. He's just not that type of player. He's a scorer. He's a microwave scorer a little bit in spurts. And maybe in this Borrego system, he would he would uh, better serve as the six-man kind of guy and playing alongside Tony Parker because, let's be honest, the second-unit offense is just not going to hum like the first-unit offense. Of course it's not, but what I really mean is I don't think the ball is going to pop in that second unit like it will in that first unit mm-hmm. when things are really going right. Um, and I think that Jeremy Lamb's strengths could potentially be utilized a little better in the second unit. It's just an idea, but again, I would be I would be patient with Lamb. I just don't think he's caught up with this system yet. Yeah, I think the only thing that would he would excel in would be like the catch-and-shoot threes, which I felt like he did fairly well last year in catch-and-shoot threes. And yeah, for whatever reason, high 30s. Yeah, for whatever reason, he prefers – like where the corner meets the break that like that's like his favorite spot like it's not all yeah. the way in the corner yeah. it's not technic it's technically yeah. an above the break three but like it's right where those two meet he loves that shot um yeah. from behind the arc but yeah you might be right spencer in the ten- and he might be better suited for the bench but i don't know i think i think we should give it some time yeah i, I, I agree yeah four four of ten on catch and shoot threes through the first three games here which isn't bad and uh i'm still willing to bet on all the stuff we talked about with jeremy lamb prior to the season which was He's entering his prime contract year. This is when guys show up. It's been three games. And for whatever it's worth, when, when Kemba and, and Lamb have been on the court together, I mean, I know Kemba gets most of this credit, but the Hornets have been awesome in those minutes. Just absolutely fantastic 
with uh, Jeremy Lamb next to Kemba Walker. So maybe there's something more there. We'll see how that tracks as the season goes along. I do think as well, though, like with regards to what you guys are talking about with the system, maybe you know, being a little bit of an adjustment for him too. But you got to remember how much of a mid-range shooter this guy was. Mm-hmm. And look, the Hornets are still taking their mid-range shots, but they're mo- it's mostly Kemba, right? Uh, with some Batum and some Lamb. And just Monk as well. And he's in Tony Parker. He's, but he's just he's just shooting you know, some MKG too, I guess. But you know, he's just he's shooting less frequently early on from the mid range, which yeah, is probably his comfort zone. So I'd, I'd give him some time and see if he can turn into a, like a knockdown catch and shoot guy and um, you know a secondary creator type guy. I, I still am willing to bet on contract year with a payday with a possible pay you know contract year going into a 2009 free agency where everybody's got money. Like, Jeremy Lamb yeah. could make himself some cash this year if he, uh, if he, if he really plays well. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think patience, patience is going to be a virtue here with Lamb. But, like, let me – well, let me lay this out, and you guys tell me if it really makes sense to you. How many ball screens, just off the top of your head, can you remember, like, any player getting – on this team outside of Kimba Walker. Um, Nick Batum, probably a few, but not many. But does it seem like significantly less for anyone else other than Kimba so far this year than in the past? Because it does to me. You're saying it's significantly less for Lamb is what you're saying. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. I, I just, like, and, and that is my, that's where I think he's having an issue finding his way in this offense because like brian i agree he's improved as a catch and shoot player but i don't think jeremy lamb sees himself as a catch and shoot three and d kind of wing guy you know what i mean like he he sees himself as like a secondary creator right and a second side guy which which i think he is but it's going to be harder for him to be that in this first unit just to me because he's just not going to get very many like Jeremy Lamb's not like a catch and shoot guy, and then the guy's running at him, like he's going to get all the way to the rim. That's not mm-hmm. his game. Like he wants to catch it, he wants to survey, he wants the ball screen, and then he's then he's good at just plotting his mm-hmm. way in the paint with those little mm-hmm. runners and jumper. You know what I mean? So like it's just more tailor made for a slower paced. Hey, I need somebody to come up and help free me here, kind of. But again, let's let's wait and see. But I, I'm starting to see why maybe I think he's really struggling. Um, to get his points with his starting unit. Agreed. And it always feels like he's like the fourth or fifth option in the, in the starting lineup. You know, he's not getting a lot he of is. touches. He um, totally is. Yeah. No, he totally is. Yeah. I mean, even, even you think of, you know, he's, you know, he's probably a higher usage guy, I guess, than, than, than Cody and Marvin. But like, I was looking at this today, like, who do you think Kemba has thrown the most passes to so far this season? On the be, I would say, I would say Cody. But yeah, I would, I would say Cody. Yeah, you're correct, Cody Zeller. It, it's fairly like egalitarian. Like there, there's some there's some balance there. But yeah, Cody is the guy he's thrown the ball to most this, so far this season. So I just I think. Um, but look, it, it's just it's been just three games. You know, Lamb's probably played like 75 to 90 minutes, and yeah. um, he's going to have opportunities because look, whether it's going to be him going to the second unit and him helping prop up that offense when Kemba sits or when teams start to trap Kemba. I mean, he and Batum are sort of like some of the obvious candidates to be, assuming he's ready to attack quickly or just shoot immediately off the catch. Uh, there, there's going to be, he's going to have opportunities to score some easy points this year. Um, and he should be incentivized because there could be a lot of money waiting for him on the other end of it too. So uh, it will be interesting to see um, maybe starting with Toronto, if he can pick it up a little bit. 
keep an eye closely on Jeremy Lamb. Yeah, so so let's go ahead and, and wrap here. We're getting ready to go check out this. We're going to get off as quickly as possible so we can go watch the Hornets take on the Raptors as everyone else is getting ready to do. Um, closing thoughts. Well, let's do this. Richie and, and BG, um, give me the biggest positive you've seen through three, th- through three games, and then let's try to come up with a negative. Okay. Let's just one thing that concerns you uh, as we wrap here. Richie, okay. we'll go with you first. Well, I'm not going to state the obvious with Kimba here. I say the biggest positive, I'm going to say MKG. Just him and his new role. He has definitely upped his defensive intensity. I think he is really relishing playing the four, playing the five. Uh, we talked about this, how his preseason numbers at the rim have been pretty bad. But, you know, the regular season, I know it's just three games. He's he's finished around the rim. And I think for him to be an effective player without stretching the court, he's going to have to finish around the rim. MKG, to me, is the biggest positive, the biggest negative. Maybe giving up some offensive rebounds here and there, I, I would say that's Probably just going to come with the territory when you play small ball. And I know that we have some guards that rebound the ball well, Batum, Lamb. But I think for overall, I mean, I can't say not too many negatives, but that's like the the glaring one that I'm thinking of off the top of my head. I'll just, I mean, uh, again, I agree with you completely on MKG. It's been super encouraging to, to watch him play like this. My my thing will be just the, the pace and uh, when they're taking shots and where they're taking them from. So last season – uh, about uh, about 21% of Charlotte's field goal attempts are three-pointers uh, between 18 to 7 seconds on the shot clock. It was about 17.5 per game. Again, 18 to 7 seconds on the shot clock this season. The Hornets are now up to 29 three-point attempts per game in that shot clock range. Um, I mean, it's about, it's, like, it's about 32% of their field goal attempts are coming from deep early in the shot clock relative or middle of the shot clock. All that's great. I mean, we all know statistically that's the best time to take the three pointers early in the shot clock. So better shot selection, both in terms of zone range and time. Um, if I had to pick one sort of negative again, it's just the sort of, it's just like the lack of help for Kemba scoring the ball right now. I mean, he's averaging 35 points per game or whatever. And you know, there's only two other guys in double figures. And one of those is lamb with 10, and I'm a little worried about just like the usage and toll on his body right now. The minutes, the high usage rate, the responsibilities guarding screen roll and the amount of charges he's taking it. I'm like a little, I'm a little, every game I'm going into it a little concerned about his overall health and stamina. So you don't think it's sustainable? This 35 points a game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if it uh, is, he's going to win MVP. Yep. Yeah, it's yep. true. Yeah. It's a good point. Yeah. Iverson with a three pointer. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I would agree on the positive, BG, that the shot profile has been very, very encouraging. Hornets almost getting up 43s a game, which is uh, which is pretty phenomenal to think about. Um, biggest concern, you know, I, I think it's the rebounding. This is obviously going to be a weakness for the Hornets this year, and that comes with the territory of how they're trying to play, you know, trying to play faster, trying to keep pace. So they're getting in passing lanes. They're more aggressive defensively. That pulls guys a little bit farther away from the glass. Um, and then the small ball, obviously. I mean, you're just you're just going to give up second chances as part of it. So uh, Hornets 24th right now in the league in, in rebound percentage. They're only grabbing 47% of uh, available rebounds. And really, uh, 69.4% of available defensive rebounds. Let's see. Let me plug it in real quick. That is – it's good for 19th. So, like – 
from a skeleton standpoint, you know, that's very, it's so much different than what we've been used to in the past uh, under Steve Clifford. But again, it comes with the territory. They want to be more aggressive. They want to play a little bit smaller. Uh, they just want to take more risk and gambles and, and turn the other team over, can which I, they've been successful yeah. at doing. Can Go I ahead. say something real quick? Just, you know, to that point, I wonder, you know, making up for the second chance points that the opposing team receives, maybe they'll make it up in the steals department. Yeah, and, and they yeah. have so far. They're, I mean, they're number three, you know, third in the NBA in, in creating wow. turnovers against their opponent. So, I mean, so far, so good. But, you know, creating turnovers consistently is a very hard thing to do. Yes, right. Um, and, I, and I think that uh, something that is probably has a better chance of being a little bit more consistent is just that, hey, look, the Hornets are kind of – just the system is going to make them struggle on the glass a little bit more and you know you take that you take like what Brian said about Kimba and like this un- you know, this is not a sustainable rate that he's playing at and how you know no one else is really pitching in at a strong rate like you can see where the you can see where the boat starts to leak a little bit for the Hornets mm-hmm. um, but you know th- these are things you identify early when you have success and you you know you you sharpen the axe as you go so guys as always. We appreciate you joining us. That was episode 76 of BuzzBeat Radio. Hornets stand at 2-1. and one. Like we said, they're looking exciting. Don't forget, we're a proud member of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network and home to queencityhoops.com. You can also find us and all of our podcasts on sportschannel8.com. Our good friends over there, make sure you're following them on Twitter at sportschannel8 and checking them out on the internet. All right, guys. Have a good one. See you next time. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.